0: Good morning, my, uh, my name's Ben Marshall, I'm one of the lay elders here at Mosaic, and I'm excited this morning to continue our summer sermon series with the Psalms, we're calling Anatomy of the Soul. This is where we uh, take a little bit of a uh, change from our typical agenda in the summer, and each of the elders preach through a psalm each week, so I'm excited to preach through Psalm 127 this morning. Um, if you wouldn't mind opening your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. I'd like to read it again so it's fresh in our minds, if that's okay. And then afterward, like before, I'll say, uh, this is the word of the Lord, and you're invited to say, thanks be to God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I'm going to pray for us again, if you don't mind. Father, thank you for the gift of gathering together as a family in Jesus to worship your holy name. Spirit, would you pour yourself out over us as we consider your word? Would you soften our hearts to what you'd have for us? And might we rejoice in your goodness and your rest in a fresh way. And we ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of my childish joys that I've maintained into adulthood is the uh, moving walkways at airports, you know what I'm talking about? The uh, giant treadmill-looking things. I was trying to describe it to my wife a few weeks ago, and she said, oh, the thing the Geico caveman wrote on, like in those TV commercials a while back. Maybe a dated reference now, but anyway. Uh, And I I just enjoy them. It's like a theme park for adults. It's like you carry, like, hundreds of yards, and you just kind of, like, rest and take this leisurely stroll, and it seems like every step you take about 20 feet. Um, and what's puzzling to me about it is I always look at the people who are like running in the middle of the walkways just dragging all their luggage and their kids and I'm like, why? what are you doing? Like you're exhausting yourself for like a football field length in this airport when you have this open opportunity into something much more enjoyable and much easier and much better and I feel that for many of us at Mosaic that our lives as followers of Jesus can feel the same where we know what direction we're supposed to be heading, but um, it just feels exhausting as a follower of Jesus. We, we know what we're supposed to do. We know that we're exhorted uh, to root up, uproot sin in our lives. We know the call to obedience. We know the call to disciple our children and to pour ourselves out for our spouses, to see the unseen, to serve and see our neighbors, to share the gospel as much as we can to stand up from the vulnerable, to study the word of God, to give generously. Um, in short, we know the call to live life uh, worthy of the calling that we've received, but it can just feel crushing and exhausting. And it often feels like we're failing, and it feels like, for me, I just can't seem to do as much as it seems like other people are able to do. And it can even feel distant from God and fun and enjoyment in Jesus throughout. It can feel absent. Um, feels like we're just pouring ourselves into exhaustion, and this is just what life with Jesus looks like, pouring ourselves out until we finally reach heaven where we might be able to sit down without feeling guilty. And uh, last year, Mosaic's elder team was actually doing some training around the topic of spiritual gifts, and this couple who specializes in equipping church bodies uh, around this topic pointed out to us that one thing that can happen in a church culture is if you hold obedience and hearing and doing in high regard, like I believe Mosaic does, and if you know the call to go and to serve uh, into evangelism, like I know, we know the call to go, and you have those, that obedience and that discipleship and that going mentality, but you neglect the rest and the dependence and the joy in Jesus and the, the, the dependence on the Spirit and his gifts, then what you get is a striving and exhausted culture. Um, and immediately when they started describing that, every, every one of us was like, this is a temptation for us. It's a t- temptation for us as a team individually individually Um, and we certainly feel like that's an easy temptation for us as a church. So if this resonates with you this morning, I believe Psalm 127 has this wonderful invitation for us. Uh, And you can write this down. This is what I'll be, if you're taking notes, this is what I'll continue to reference throughout the rest of the sermon, is that God's work invites us from striving into abiding. That's our main theme I'd I'd like to touch on, that God's work invites us from a striving into an abiding. Striving into an abiding. Um, and striving by the way is not necessarily a bad word in of itself but just for the use of the sermon today I'm just going to define that as like spiritual exhaustion so working vain toil that we hear in Psalm 127 Um, so let's look at the psalm together one thing I love about the opening of Psalm 127 is the clarity of its opening lines it doesn't really hold back any punches it's the theme that all human effort is useless unless the Lord's behind it Uh, that the effectiveness of God's kingdom is in his hands and not in ours Verse 1 makes this point by using the examples of a city and a house. A house has this rich Hebrew uh, meaning where it can mean anything from a physical house to a family to a nation and a kingdom. So the point is that anything from providing for our families up to establishing a nation that's in God's hands. Verse 2 addresses our daily work to provide for ourselves. That phrase, bread of anxious toil, really hit home with me. I don't know if it did with any of you either. Uh, Like, I read that, like, I I know what that tastes like, and it's not good. Uh, it's the bread we eat, money we earn that just seems to only fuel more anxiety or more worry for more. But at the end of verse 2 is the good news to our tired eyes and anxious souls where he gives to his beloved sleep and I just hear the compassionate voice in the Father in the middle of the psalm there where it just says, like, son or daughter don't you know, Like don't you know I don't expect you to build and to sustain and to provide I've called you into doing something where I do all these things for you and then I pull you into what I'm doing already so God's work invites us from a striving into an abiding. Then verse 3 uh, through 5 was children is a prime example of what verses 1 through 2 already talked about. We may know the birds and the bees of having children, but we can't create the life. Uh, that's in God's hands. Verse 4 is where all you cool cats out there get your arrow tattoos for your children. <laughs> I've seen you. I'm not hating. I'm, je- I'm jealous, by the way. I, have, I, just, I don't have the guts to do it. Perhaps I'll do the full-size quiver tattoo on my back. <laughs> I'll show everybody, that'd be a good look at the pool. Uh, now, I don't know if anyone else felt this way, but the language around arrows and speaking in the gates felt a little random. Um, the context situation here is an elderly parent at the city gate who's under attack in their old age. So, city gate is where all the judicial matters would have been handled in a city. And so, the context is an elderly and vulnerable parent under attack and the children are his protection. So children in this culture were how you would primarily get provision in your old age and care, security, legacy, establishment, uh, all things we still strive after, just either in additional or different ways. Um, but it all comes back to the opening words of the psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now you may have noticed in your Bible that this, uh, the authorship of the psalm is attributed to Solomon. Um, and there's an episode in 2 Samuel 7 that Solomon would have had in mind behind writing this psalm, and so I want to turn there and look at this, because this episode brings a lot of fullness to the invitation to rest. So turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel 7, flip your phones, I believe we will have the words up on the screen. Solomon, of course, was the son of the great Israelite King David, the Goliath slayer, the writer of Psalms, the young boy pulled from, this, pulled from the pasture to lead Israel. And at the height of David's power, he had built this beautiful palace for himself, and he had this commendable idea to build a beautiful temple for the Lord. Um, some of you guys may be familiar with this passage. It's usually called the Lord's Covenant with David or the Davidic Covenant. And when God, David brought this desire to God to build this house for him, God said no, which is surprising. But it's not because David had bad motives behind this, it's because God's response was, I don't want you to do this because I don't need you to do anything for me. I'm going to do something for you. Um, And where David had in mind, I'm going to build a house for you, like a physical building, God had in mind, I'm going to build a house like a dynasty for you. So let's, uh, let's look at 2 Samuel 7. We'll do verses 8 through 16. Words are up on the screen. Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this deserves a whole sermon series in and of itself. But uh, this is rich. David again, or God again, catches David completely off guard with what he's thinking. David has again this commendable idea and God responds by saying no. You don't need to worry about establishing my kingdom for me. I'm going to establish you and your kingdom and my people forever. God uh, promises to provide a permanent home and safety for his people. He promises that David's son will, in fact, be the one to build the temple and build the house for the Lord. We see that God promises David a descendant that will sit on his throne eternally, a king that would be like a son to God the Father. And Now, David would, would not have grabbed all this in fullness, but we have the benefit from where we're at of seeing Jesus all over this passage. Uh, Solomon was the short-term fulfillment of this promise as he built David's, the temple after David had died. But we see something more beyond these promises than just Solomon building a temple building. We know the eternal king to come, the king that would be like a son to the father, the king who would usher in our final rest and safety, uh, in our home for God. The king to do that is none other than the son of God himself, the second person of the Trinity, King Jesus Jesus, who by bearing the stripes of the sons of men on our behalf is the promised Son of David, who brings the kingdom of God in fullness. And so outside of being this beautiful episode in and of itself, why is this important for Psalm 127? And you can see that everything we might toil over in Psalm 127 is picked up in this passage. The language is so identical. Um, And everything that we might burn ourselves out on is provided for, not just now, but eternally. Through God's promise to David, you see a home with God himself, an eternal city, a kingdom, safety, peace, provision, family, heritage, stability. It's all covered in Jesus. And I think it's critical for us to see if we're so overwhelmed in trying to work for God. And we have so much good intention, I think, but um, exhaustion in doing things for God is just not what he's asking. We feel pressure to be more intentional about this or more intentional about that. To find more time for this, to start this ministry, to engage this person, to read that, to be involved with this. Um, And yes, those are good things we ought to be doing. But we often put this burden of God's kingdom advancement and perfection on our shoulders where it just doesn't belong. We forget the truth of verse 2 that God gives to his beloved sleep. And yet Solomon remembers these promises to his father. They were in uh, Psalm 127. And he remembers that if God is bringing his kingdom to us, we should be able to relax this tension in our necks and drop our arms and open our hands and just say, God, if you are establishing your kingdom in the most beautiful, kind, and poetic and surprising ways, and if this is the kind of work that you're up to, I want nothing to do with what I'm trying to do on my own. I want nothing to do with that. I want to abide and rest in whatever you're doing because God's work invites us from a striving into an abiding. Now, uh, abiding. Psalm one twenty seven is telling us that God has sleep for us, and I keep saying abiding. So, where, where am I getting that from? Um, in John fifteen, Jesus has a nearly identical invitation to his disciples, as we see in one twenty seven. So, John fifteen, you can either flip there quickly, or the words will be up on the screen. John fifteen four through five is Jesus' invitation that mirrors Psalm one twenty seven. John fifteen four, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. That last phrase, apart from me you can do nothing, stings to me. Um, it. I have the same reaction when I read, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It's like, I've been really busy, and I'm not sure where God's been in it lately. And to be clear, neither Psalm 127 nor John 15 are inviting us into sloth or inviting us into laziness. It's an invitation into joining Jesus' effective and victorious effort that he's already up to and coming into that, right? We abide in the person and work of Jesus. We live. We stay in what he's doing and who he is. The other primary translation for abide in other uh, biblical translations is remain. It's like remain in me and I in you. And that's really helpful for me because I have this picture in my mind of Jesus walking at this steady and unhurried and unanxious pace and me just trying to run out of him <laughs> all the time. And, uh, and the invitation is to slow down and to remain at his pace and to join him in what he's doing and at his unhurried and victorious pace. And God's work invites us from striving into an abiding. So the question before us, how do we get there? How do I set all this luggage down and get on the the giant moving walkway? Uh, I believe there's two ways that we could do this, Um, primary. Neither one of them are new. I didn't come up with either one of them. Neither one of them will be foreign. And those two ways are prayer and Sabbath. I'm going to break both those down here a little bit more. Prayer and Sabbath. Before I give some more practical examples for both of those and things that have been helpful for me and my family to press into both of those, I want to say a couple things. I know if we're stuck in a striving mentality like I've often been, examples can feel like piling on the guilt. Like, when am I going to have time to do this stuff that I'm not doing, or I'm not doing this stuff well, and it just feels like the shame that comes after you if you hear examples. So I I just beg you, don't do that. Like, don't feel that way. my, my prayer and my Sabbath is not perfect. Uh, none of us are. Um, so just don't, uh, don't give into that. Just write them down and consider what might be a good first step. I don't do all of these every day. Um, I fall asleep at least once a week on the couch after I get up to go pray and wake up two minutes late before work. Uh, don't tell my boss. Um, the second thing, this idea of our rest and abiding in prayer and enjoying God for who he is, this is a relatively recent work in my life. I've been a believer for 27 years as a boy when I put my faith in Christ, and it's just, with the last couple of years, this is new. So, again, don't feel shame or feel like rich prayer life or just restful Sabbath is impossible. I promise you, it is not. Jesus would not invite us into it if it were so. Um, and the growth... Growth really into this kickstarted was kickstarted out of this season of really intense stress and exhaustion for me and my family. So, again, um, don't feel guilty or shame or like it's impossible. So, prayer. Why is prayer a pathway into rest and abiding? Because in prayer we encounter and enjoy God Himself, and we've got to view prayer as more than just submitting our requests to God. Although that's good, and we're called to. We've got to view prayer as a way to just spend time with Him. And we do this by slowing down and meditating on the Word, by worshiping His character and worshiping His goodness, by repeating His promises back to Him, by sitting in silence, by pouring out our emotions and confessing, conversing, laughing, asking, waiting. Um, And it's through this kind of relational prayer that the Spirit often warms our hearts to... The, pre- the reality of his presence, we hear the love of the Father spoken over us. We see more clearly our identity in Christ and what he's doing for us and who we are in him. And it will burn up our reflex toward busyness, I think, to sit in that space. Um, because again, like David and Solomon saw, if this is how good God is, then why would I want to do anything outside of him? So here's five short disciplines for prayer big on the outlines, um, on how we can view prayer, spending time with God, and practice abiding Him and through it. The first, just ask. (laughs) It may sound obvious and silly. Just ask. Like, I do this all the time. Like, God, I I know a decent amount about you, but I don't feel like I know you. And uh, would you just show up and show me what it looks like to just be with you? Um, Yeah, just ask. (laughs) Second, uh, to ground your prayer in biblical truth, ground your prayer in biblical truth. So, great ways to do this has been helpful for me is praying through the psalms. We did this at a night of prayer a couple weeks ago. Uh, I generally start the morning with reading through a psalm slowly and just using those words to pray. It's wonderful because it gives me words to pray when I don't know what to pray, and prayer has the full width of emotions that I'm not necessarily in touch with all the time, And, and so that's a wonderful gift. Uh, Memorizing scripture has also been a wonderful way to ground my prayer in biblical truth. I just have this little cheat sheet at the front of my Bible I try to progressively add to. Um, And again, that's just a way to repeat God's promises back to him and to worship him in prayer through meditating on that. It's often how the spirit can speak is through those words we have memorized of his. Uh, The third one is journaling has been super helpful for me. Um, There's a lot of ways to do that. I know many of you do that. Some of you write psalms or uh, songs of your own or poems. Um, I just write out my conversation. It's very informal, but it just forces me to slow down and to be intentional about what I'm saying. Um, And uh, it just kind of starts a conversation for me. It's super helpful. Um, It's also been a huge gift because you can go back and look and see how God's answered prayers. It's been an awesome gift. Um, There's still plenty I'm still waiting on, and there's still a number that God said no But to see how he's moved is just wonderful. And it helps to abide because I can see the real power in it when I go back and reflect on what he's done through it. And it reminds me that the most effective thing I can do um, just as a father and a believer and a pastor is to pray. Uh, Corporate prayer, fourth one. Um, I've learned a lot about prayer just by praying with you. I've learned so much about um, dependence and honesty and passion and faith in prayer just by listening and praying with many of you. And I've told Katie multiple times that uh, when we come home from nights of prayer, like I just loved listening to this guy or girl pray. It just was such an encouragement to me. Um, and beyond benefiting from others in corporate prayer, we're just we're called to it as a people. And not because God needs it, but because it fosters our corporate abiding and enjoyment together. We, uh, it's how we fight our reflex to generate our own plans together, and we just submit to Jesus and say, wherever you're taking us is where we want to go. Uh, so yeah, nights of prayer are one of my favorite things to do. We, we ask, we sit, we listen, um, we, we rejoice, we cry. If I've had the honor of praying with you, I've probably cried on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's easy for me. Um, so come to the next night of prayer, bring a rain jacket, you'll be okay. Fifth and finally, silent prayer silent prayer. That's the most antithetical thing we can do against striving, I think. Uh, It's inefficient, and if if there's ever a dirty word in our current culture, inefficient's it. Um, We just sit in silence, and we focus on the truth that you're in God's presence. You ask him to meet you, and you ask the spirit to speak, and you just sit and wait. And it's an awesome exercise because it's a fight just to stay focused, and it's a good fight to, to, to fight. Uh, and as a, as a last step to this, um, as far as silent prayer, here's actually the first step I'd like you to try this week. This got advised to our elder team not too long ago. So do this this week. Implement the practice before you start praying of sitting for 15 to 30 seconds. Every time. 15 to 30 seconds before you pray. Every time. Just empty your mind, focus on being in God's presence, and just sit. And I think we'll be amazed at how formative that practice will be into forcing us to slow down to abide. And I think we'll be amazed at how much the Spirit wants to speak to us through that. Okay, so that was prayer. Sabbath. Why is Sabbath a pathway to prayer and abiding? Well, maybe obvious, but it's how we slow down, it's how we depend on God. Uh, it's Sabbath is a biblical discipline of taking a 24 hour period to rest and lean into your dependence upon God. Uh, Our pastor, Kyle Worley, preached a fantastic series through this back in 2020. So for a full treatment on that, I'd really recommend you go back and listen to that. It's wonderful. Um, And I told Kyle this not too long afterwards. I was really frustrated after he taught that series because I was like, this is impossible. There is no way at our phase of life and the church commitment levels and work commitment levels and family that this idea of wonderful, rich, weekly, meditative rest is doable. Like, that is not feasible um but i want to tell you through a lot of weeks of trial and error and a lot of weeks of it being a disaster it is possible sabbath is possible um and we just won't learn abiding in the work of jesus if we never stop working so here's two specific things just two on this one that's been really helpful for katie and I and our family the first is aim sabbath to make something you're excited about it may sound kind of silly Um, I think you do this by spending some time and just thinking, what draws me closer to God? What gifts do I enjoy? What things do we like doing as a family? What things do I like doing with our community and our church that we would look forward to? It's a really formative thing to bring your, if you have a family, to bring your wife and your kids into that kind of a conversation. Like, how can we make Sabbath something we're excited about? The kids are really fun to do this. You know, say donuts or board games or whatever we want to do together. Um, That's been really fun. Just aim to make something that, uh, that you're excited about. And communicate something good to your kids too—that God's goodness is worth celebrating—and it's something that your parents find joy in, not that's an obligation. Uh, for our house, I wake up early and get donuts. I—we uh, come back to the house, we read a psalm, we say a short prayer, and that's really all the formality that it usually is. We don't turn our home into a monastery once a week. We don't expect like this full worship service for a six and a two-year-old. It's—it's repeatable. It's age-appropriate. Um, We try to mix in making cookies, uh, sharing a meal with friends, or watching a movie, but we just always ask, is this going to be restful for us when we have opportunities? Um, Try to find things that we enjoy together that leave some margin. The second practice for Sabbath um, that's been very effective for us, and this should also be no surprise, is putting reins on our phones. You just have to. I need the reins. You need the reins. This is a regular guilt trip on technology, but it has to be said, like, We have to. Um, if we can't just drastically reduce our screen time for a day, we're just never going to enter into the full rest that God has for us. We won't have the mental margin to ever consider God's goodness, to step into moments of spontaneous prayer, to see people and to hear from the Spirit. We'll just choke out all those opportunities if we're just always humming on the inside. Katie bought little bags for us that we try to put our phones in. It's honestly hit or miss if we use them or not, but the intention's there. Uh, work through your, you know, notifications and stuff as much as you can. Um, I know there's obviously always work things and different people's, you know, profession setups that are different there, but you got to try to put reins on it. We know it, you know it, I know it. You got to do it. Um, and the fight in Sabbath again is just to remind ourselves that we completely depend on God, that He is our joy. But it's not just just dependence, it's that we rejoice in Him. And if the Spirit might grab a hold of us on those Sabbath days, it will totally change the other six. Because, man, on those Sundays where you get some really rich time with your family or with the Lord or with your community, it will make you very frustrated, the other six, when you don't have it. The days uh, on Sundays where it's really rich for me, I get so irritated (laughs) Monday when the world just runs at me like wild animals. And... Uh, I just long for that, that Sabbath posture that I had the day before. And it changes the other six because it makes you impatient for the things that start making your insides hum. And it makes you a lot more critical and uh, mindful of the things that do that to you. And you want to fight that way because you want to stay in that Sabbath posture. And that's, that's that goal. The goal of Sabbath is to to help us hate the hustle. Um, so anyway. Uh, and it is a fight. Um, but it's important. And you'll also run into a lot of uh, trouble trying to Sabbath. That, that's a big... Expect that. That's going to be hard. Um, but that should be expected because why would the enemy of God want us resting and abiding in Jesus? We're a lot less dangerous if we're busy all the time. So as we conclude our time, um, we've seen Psalm 127 has this wonderful news for our anxious souls and tired lives. God's work invites us from a striving into an abiding. And I'll leave you with this thought. The highest rest promised us through David and through Solomon, our highest uh, trophy of salvation is that we get God, that we get God himself. Houses are great, cities are great, kingdoms are great, food's great, but our ultimate treasure is God himself. And although we don't experience God in fullness yet, we are invited to invite or we invited to abide in him and experience him and enjoy him now and if we don't slow down we're going to miss it we're going to miss it we're going to miss the sleep that uh, the father has for his beloved psalm 127 um, so i'm going to close this out i'm going to pray and i'm going to put my money where my mouth is and we're going to wait we're going to wait 15 seconds we'll see how that feels i think it's going to feel like a long time so um, sometimes I posture my body just in a more dependent or receptive posture, whatever that looks like. There's no, no magic to it. Um, we're just going to wait 15 seconds. We're going to pray and close out our time. So thank you all. Father, what good news that you call us into. What a work that we might rejoice in, that you rescue enemies and make us sons and daughters, and that you call us into resting what you're already doing for us, that we neither have to prove ourselves nor earn your love. And God, I pray for us as a church that we might step into that rest, and that we might believe it's truly available. And God, in Mosaic, might we have such a testimony of joy and rest that would be so peculiar to the world around us? I pray the city might see the rest that we have in Jesus here. And so, God, we thank you for your time. Thank you for this time together. We thank you again for your love and your work. We thank you for the rest that you provide. I pray that Spirit, you would empower us to see it and to step into it today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.